Welcome to Category 5 Technology TV. It's episode number 616. So nice to see you. And uh, this... Sasha. Yes? Where's your computer? Oh, yeah. Oh. You always have How are you going to follow the chat room and do all those kinds of things? I need a computer. Oh. Here, let me hook you up. What? Check out this little SBC. That's not a computer. That's, that's a tic-tac. A Yep, it's going to make me look huge. This <laughs> little thing is a single board computer. We've got Bo here from Ameridroid, who's going to be showing us some of the exciting things that he has brought in his bag. That's exciting enough. And that is pretty cool. We're going to learn what that one is, as well as some other things, and find out how single board computers are revolutionizing the enterprise and their data centers. Stick around. Get chatting. This is Category 5 Technology TV. Our live recordings are trusted only to solid-state drives by Kingston Technology. Revive your computer with improved performance and reliability over traditional hard drives with Kingston SSDs. Category 5 TV streams live with Telestream Wirecast and Nimble Streamer. Tune in every week on Roku, Kodi, Plex, and other HLS video players. For local showtimes, visit Category5.tv. Category5.tv is a member of the Tech Podcast Network. If it's tech, it's here. Cat5.tv slash TPN and the International Association of Internet Broadcasters. Cat5.tv slash IAIB. Welcome to the show, everybody. My name's Robbie Ferguson. I am Sasha Rickman. And I'm Jeff Weston. Great to see you. Before we jump into a very exciting show this week, I want to remind you to subscribe to us on YouTube. Click that bell as well. And that's going to ensure that you receive a notification every time we post new and exciting content. Folks, I am very, very pleased to have uh, Bo with us from Ameridroid. Bo, great to see you. Well, thanks for having thanks me. Thanks for making Robin. the trip. Oh, it's a pleasure. Bo made the, uh, the trek with his wife, Rosemary, uh, all the way from sunny California to our beautiful city of Sunnyberry this week. Uh, and we're going to be talking a lot about uh, single board computing in the enterprise um, and in the data center. That sounds like a good thing to talk about. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so let's, uh, let's jump right into it. First of all, can you tell us a little bit about Ameridroid, how you guys got started? I mean, single board computers themselves are a very new thing. Yeah. Uh, relatively speaking, in the, in the grand scheme of computing. Right. Uh, and they're really making a lot of, they're changing a lot of markets and a lot of industries. How did you get involved in, uh, in becoming one of the most respected uh, and most well-known uh, sales depots for single board computers? Well, first of all, I'm honored that you say that. Uh, secondly, true story, true story. <laughs> secondly, um, so I heard about the Raspberry Pi before it was launched. Mm -hmm. And I said, I need to get one of these things because I've always been a tinkerer and a programmer, uh, messed around with electronics. You know, I let a lot of smoke out of a lot of components over the years. <laughs> and, um, and so anyway, the, uh, the Raspberry Pi 1 was announced. They didn't call it the 1 at the time because it was the only one. It was the first thing. And, uh, <laughs> and I got my first Raspberry Pi in the first batch that they shipped out. And, uh, I put the distro on it, mm -hmm. on an SD card, and played with it. I was trying to build a surveillance camera, basically, that oh, okay. processes all of the all the data, all the information, the video frames and everything, mm -hmm. on the camera, and only when it has a finished product, it sends it to a server. So, oh, okay. so it kind of takes care of the transcoding yeah. and everything right. itself? So it, it, uh, most uh, IP cameras are really noisy on the network because you got to ping every frame. Okay, uh, yeah. Network and, Interesting. And then you have to have a big server. Like, we had been installing some server, some uh, IP camera systems for customers, and you could put in this huge server yeah. 
thousands of dollars in in a in a rack and maybe get 20 something cameras on it wow <laughs> you know because okay. that's all the network can you know the network could be saturated uh also depending on how much data like if you want to do 1080p 30 frames per second forget it yeah, yeah. you know that's not going to happen uh so well maybe with one camera but <laughs> sure yeah not with 20 something cameras yeah, right yeah. and so we'd be going to these uh, server closets, and they would be so hot because the server is like just working its tail off, trying to process all of these video streams or all these uh, actually um, snapshots from these IP cameras, yeah. doing motion detection, you know, uh, region detection, all kinds of things, and then uh, turning them into a finished product, right? That you can view later. Yeah. So, so I wanted to do this with Raspberry Pi, and. It worked great for about one or two days, <laughs> and then uh, it would lock up for no reason. Um, so, now was so, this the coder's fault or the the well, pie? Or? Originally, I blame myself. Okay, right? Because yes, I must be doing something wrong. Yeah, yeah. And that's a uh, lot of data to be putting through a, a Raspberry Pi first gen. It it is, but it, you know there there's a Raspberry uh, Cam uh, capture software, mm -hmm. and you can run that. You know, just like. As a, as a user, you could run that as many times as you wanted, and it seemed to work fine. Oh. So it it uh, downloaded as a H.264. Mm -hmm. Basically, it's MP4. Mm -hmm. And um, the problem that I had then was, well, it would lock up, and and whatever log I you know I would initiate to try to find out what was going on would never show anything wrong with the system. Right. And so I said, well, I'll switch to Arch Linux. So I installed Arch Linux and. Same problem. Really? So, okay. so I was like, well, I think this is probably not a coding problem because right. I made it the simplest possible thing. Like, yeah. basically, capture 10 seconds of video, loop and repeat. Ah, right. And, yeah. and I would have logs checking things like or how much disk usage is it? Are we, are we filling the disk? Are yeah. we filling up RAM? And none of those things were happening. Yeah. So, so then I thought, well, there. There might be something else on the market, so I went out and looked, and and the Odroid U2 was available at the time for mm -hmm. 89 bucks. Okay. And uh, so I was like, well, I'm going to get that, and play with that. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> I got that, and I was blown away by how fast it was. Mm. I believe the U2 today could put the Raspberry Pi 4 to uh, erase for its money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because it is so fast. I mean, that's I, We still use them at, at Ameridroid. Yeah. Uh, uh, Odroid. Servers, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Odroid U2s. Yeah. So you started um, as a maker yourself, like just as a right. fan, just like any of us looking at right. Raspberry Pi and, and, all, and then branching out into other single board computers when the Pi wasn't powerful enough. Right. Well, actually, I was looking to replace some solutions that were available, but not really very well implemented, like the, you know, trying to get too many cameras on right. one server. Okay. Right. So a lot of these things, like a lot of places like casinos or whatever, they'll have whole racks of yeah. Yeah. servers. The separate networks, <laughs> right. everything. Yeah, they need more yeah. than 20 cameras. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I wanted to develop a solution that, that could handle hundreds of cameras on one single board computer on one network. Wow. Basically one server. And the server's just a single board computer because yeah. all it's doing is being a file share. Okay. Right. right. Yeah. Hmm. So then how did you transition from being like a, a fan, a maker, a tinkerer, building this neat design camera system to now you're running Ameridroid and, and founded Ameridroid? Right. Well, what happened is uh, the Odroid forum, I was spending a lot of time on there because yes. I was doing development, yeah. and they said, hey, we want 
to put out our own like uh, magazine, uh, user magazine, basically. Yeah. And we're looking for editors and content creators and things like that. Yeah. And I've always been kind of an English nerd, so so I thought, well, hey, I could do some editing because yeah. Yeah. like I'll read like New York Times stories and say. Oh, look at all these grammar mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> Stay away from my blog, okay? <laughs> yeah. And, well, you know, and I expect that from, I expect proper writing from, you know, big news organizations. Absolutely, and a lot yeah. of times, especially it's the, more, the farther we get along in technology, it seems like the worse the writing gets. But yeah. that's yeah. beside the point. I just wanted the, the Odrin magazine to be done well. Yeah. And so I, I was uh, assistant editor to Rob Roy, who is still the current editor of the magazine, and mm-hmm. I did that for about a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hard Kernel approached me because they knew we had experience in distributing technology in the past, mm-hmm. specifically Amiga computers right. in the 90s. Yeah. And and uh, they said, hey, we're looking for somebody to distribute our products, and kind of a long story is we ended up doing it. So <laughs> That's cool. And here we are. Yeah. 2019 and, and things are evolving at a very very fast pace we're seeing like the raspberry pi 4 is leaps and bounds above where you right. were with the with yeah. the version one well i'm fine i'm finally happy to say that broadcom has put out a good product yes <laughs> for a single board computer i mean they've been great products for i mean roku boxes used to use them and a lot of different things right these broadcom that's right yeah. so uh, so what boards uh, beyond raspberry pi odroid well, Pine do you, 64. Do you carry? Yeah, Pine 64. Um, Atomic Pi. Yeah. Uh, NVIDIA Jetson. Let's see. We, we have about 40-something different distinct models of single-board wow. computers in stock. Wow. So you have stock of Atomic Pi? Yes, we do. Oh. So, yeah, I got one right in a bag right here. Fantastic. <laughs> and we also carry all of the accessories like the... Like the um, like the white box. <laughs> yes, the white box, which has a, which has a power supply in it, and and uh, the baby breakout board, which is in high demand. Yeah, because it's difficult to to power an atomic pie. Yeah, and this one, may I? You may look at this. We've got so this says Ameridroid right on it. Right. So this is your own product. That is, yes. If you flip it over, it yeah. has one of our engineers' names on there, Bo Thompson. He's the one who. There you go. Designed cool. the board and, and uh, had it manufactured, and then very nice. Um, but yes, this is also available. This board is available from Digital Loggers, which is the company that distributes the Atomic Pi. Mm-hmm. But uh, we had this period of time where we could not get them, and so we had some uh, really high uh, high needs for getting a bunch. A really lot quickly. of demand, yes. right? If you're selling um, the Atomic Pi, but you don't have the right. the boards yeah. to power I them, I think we were quoted like six to eight weeks. And, Ouch. and basically, we turned these out in three or four weeks. So you just started building, like, forget well, that, let's build our own. Well, no, we still, <laughs> we still get them from digital loggers. Yes. Yeah. But uh, this board is just a stopgap. Oh, okay. okay. Isn't that cool? Um, so what boards do you personally, and, and maybe this is, you know, maybe a touchy subject because, I mean, he sells them, right? So, so let's, with the disclaimer that, hey, this question is, is not a leading question. I just, I'm curious, with all the experience that you have with single board computers, are there any particular lines or products that you are, that you can say you just love? Yes. So Raspberry Pi is a great community. Uh, they, have, they have tons of projects. They have tons of accessories. So uh, if you're a beginner... The Raspberry Pi 4, you know, the whole Raspberry Pi line is a great line to get started with. Yeah, yeah. But I find, at least for myself and people I would assume like me, will grow out of that pretty quick. And the differences between what a Raspberry Pi does and what an Odroid or a Pine64 does 
is very minimal. <laughs> you know, they're still running Linux. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, it'll be like a Debian server, or basically, Android or, yeah. or whatever. Uh, and I've taken projects that were developed for the Raspberry Pi and just recompiled them on an, another system like an Odroid or a, or a Rock sixty four. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- those are what what I look for is when I'm starting a project. What are the requirements of the project? Mm-hmm. You know, what what are the things I need the project to do? And then I find the board that meets those needs at the lowest cost. Sure. So sometimes it's a Rock 64, sometimes it's a Rock Pro 64. There's a big di- price difference between those two. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's an Odroid. Like here we've got... Um, these are uh, Odroid HC2s. There's two of them stacked together. And uh, this is for a ransomware deterrent system, basically. Uh, it oh. protects your network, uh, the data on your network from ransomware, because one awesome. of these okay. systems is not accessible from the network. Cool. The other system is. So as many of these as they need, uh, you know, as a company, an enterprise, uh, municipality needs mm-hmm. can be placed ar- on the network around this, uh, the system and configured to dump data onto the network accessible share yeah. and the non-network accessible share takes snapshots and archives those awesome. of oh, the data okay. on, on here. So, so if you get attacked, so I, you, all my files are encrypted, what happens? Right. If your files are encrypted, of course, this wants to be... You want this We're to talking be, ransomware here, right. like malicious <laughs> encryption. Right. You want to be sized. You want to have the, si- the drive sized to hold enough data, yeah. basically. So yeah. it, that depends on how many systems, how big the systems are. Yeah. And a nice thing about the HC2 is it can be stacked. So we can stack mm-hmm. numerous ones on top of here and have any number of them be offline and any number of them be online. Hmm. So... So uh, you can have a nice little tower of HC2 systems yeah. here. Or I use think H- I might. <laughs> we can use HC1s as well. But what happens is that data gets archived um, on a schedule. So yep. it could be daily, it could be hourly, you know, it could be right. weekly, yeah. whatever you want. Yeah. Um, and actually what I like to do is with my archive backups is half of the archive I have whatever the schedule is. And then the other half of the archive... It starts deleting um, the. It starts deleting the archives between dates. So, oh, so, okay. So, so you can go back to like right. yesterday, right? Day before yesterday, a week before that, right? A, a month week before. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So, so Save you can space. Go a year back if you know. Right. If you set it up that way. Yeah. 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 So, so I have a cron job basically that that'll clean it out. Cool. Uh, in this case. We're developing the software for this so that it does it all automatically because most Very nice. enterprises want a solution yeah. and they that's, want a project. That's what we're <laughs> going to be talking about in just a couple of moments' time is how this can be used in enterprise, and it really makes me think about how the software needs to be there. And I mean, like, ready to go. Here are the specs. Here's how you build it. We need two HC2s or HC1s, and this is how you wire it in. Mm-hmm. Here's the software to make it happen. And when that happens, when that software is readily available, now all of a sudden... The yes, the demand is there, but now the facility is there as well, so that right. the IT department can say, "Here's the product. This is what we're going to do." And and right. now we're ready. Now most enterprise IT departments will want to put it through a verification process, even or, auditing, like right, we go through auditing, auditing process, at NEMS, right. yeah. And and so you'll want to have an enterprise IT department will want to be able to do that, mm-hmm. right? So the the solution will be something that they can buy. Mm-hmm. And then they can just put on their network, 
onto the their test net or whatever, and yep. then test it out and see how it works. And cool. you know, maybe they need to configure something so that it meets their requirements. Yeah, and uh, then they'll do like a test data re- uh, data restore and things like that. That's and important. Those are always important. Yes, um, with any kind of backup. A lot of companies will have a backup solution in place and never run that test scenario. <laughs> We've so run then, into that numbers of times. Yeah, and then ransomware hits and they realize we're going to be down for four days? Right. Mm, not well, acceptable. That's going to hurt the business big time. Some cities are down for weeks with ransomware. Yeah. 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 No, that doesn't happen. Does it, Bo? Uh, no, no, not at all. So my question, <laughs> my question was, which one is your favorite? Yes. And I like the way you answered because there is no answer to that. There is no answer, yes. It, it it's all depends a, on the features. It, just to summarize what you said, it's what is the project requiring. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I may need uh, an N2. That may be appropriate for the project. Maybe I need something with more oomph, more CPU power, but sometimes I may just need a Raspberry Pi or a Raspberry Pi Zero even. Like, I'm working on a really cool project I think is cool. You can tell me what you think. But our GPIO extender takes Mm -hmm. the GPIO from a Raspberry Pi, sends it over IP-based networks to a Raspberry Pi Zero, and uses the headers on that board. So now it can be anywhere. It's a smart controller. Exactly, and and it's and it's clever as well. That's right, <laughs> and inexpensive. But in that use case, I'm not going to use a Raspberry Pi four for right. the uh, for the endpoint. Yeah, it's, I'm going to use a Raspberry overkill. Pi zero. Yeah. yeah. So it absolutely. What's my favorite board? Depends on the use case. I think that's right. the the best answer. That's absolutely. why we carry so many models. <laughs> right. Perfect. Now, I mean, I like what you're doing with with that stack. But what other projects are you kind of working on that, like, a, get you? jived up in the morning well uh, I was actually talking about this with Rosemary and one of the things we want to do is set up like you're talking about the backblaze server yeah right? so this we're is thinking a, about doing something a box like a NAS unit that holds 60 hard drives or right. something like that or yeah. 30 hard an drives an insane amount of data yeah right. and it's consumer drives which makes it right. dirt cheap as far as you know when the drives fail right now that's that's a good solution um, I think presently it's about I think according to their website, 3.6 cents or 3.8 cents a gigabyte yeah. at their cost. And right. 5 cents a gigabyte at the consumer's cost. Uh, wow. Basically, if you're, if you're building it yourself because you don't have the volume of scale that they have, because yeah. they buy tens of thousands of drives yeah, a yeah. year, and you're right. not going to buy tens of thousands of drives, so you won't yeah. get the same price as they My do. My wife would be very <laughs> upset with me. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, but I, I did a little calculation while I was here in Barrie just to see what what it would uh, take to do the same thing with yes. single board computers. Okay. Instead of, you know, this big motherboard and and SATA controllers and all these other things that you would need to do this, right. big power supplies. And what I came out with was around three cents consumer price per gigabyte. No way. Yeah. Now, it'll take a little more space because you're going to lose some of your drive slots right. for Rock Pro 64s. But right. That, that was the... It's actually one of the more expensive single-board computers, the Rock Pro 64. Right. And the reason that I chose that as the as a candidate for this project mm-hmm. is because it has a PCIe slot. Right. And, uh, you can put a dual SATA card in there. Right. Uh-huh. And so you can run two drives from one Rock Pro 64. And let's say you're using four terabyte drives, which are 
what a lot of people don't realize is that the more terabytes you put into a drive, the more expensive per gigabyte they are. Yes, uh, can be. Yeah. So, so a four terabyte drive is a good balance. Mm-hmm. And we call it the sweet spot. It's right. Divide it by the number of gigs and figure out where your sweet spot is. Right. So, so uh, building this, we could probably put somewhere between thirty and forty-five Rock Pro. Or sorry, drives yes. and about half that number of Rock Pro 64s. And so, not only is it a uh, a cluster data storage, yeah, it also unlike the Backblaze, which only works over HTTPS. That's the only way you can write and read data. Uh, oh, really? That, okay. According to what I read on their website, anyway, if the data is current. I would expect it to have iSCSI or any kind of well, what I'm protocols saying is, to be able to communicate. Is the communication protocol with the Backblaze server? Yes. Only with the software that they provide is only over HTTPS. Okay. So with this method, let's say you use Debian, you could use any mm-hmm. any communication protocol that Debian uh, supports. NFS, right? CIFS. So, um, and you can also use, uh, there's a file system. It's, it's sort of like a hybrid file system OS called Ceph that allows you to mount multiple systems as a RAID storage. Okay. So multiple so, single board computers right. with connected drives as RAID. Right. Okay. So it's, it's uh, meant as a distributed system. So Ceph can actually even uh, sync data between geographic locations like a RAID. Wow. So oh, that, that, that's sort of the, the concept we're going with. But we're talking about three cents roughly per gigabyte, uh, my initial calculations. And uh, that doesn't include the case, but I think the case might add a, a tenth of a cent or something onto it. Right. Uh, you know, so when, when you're talking about you know, dozens or hundreds of terabytes, you know, a gigabyte's yeah. very small. So, yeah. so there's a lot of things to divide it into, right? Yeah. Sure. So, uh, so this is going to be available next well, month? <laughs> yes, exactly. No, as soon as I get back, it's going to be ready. It's going to be in, <laughs> in production. Uh, no, it'll, it'll take a little while for us to, Amazing. to do all that. But uh, a really cool thing about it is not only, well, with, with like a Backblaze, and I think Backblaze is a great solution, yeah. right? Especially for companies like Netflix and other companies that use that. Yeah. But uh, this system will be, I think, an even better solution for a lot of people because it's not... It has less points, single points of failure, because each pair of drives has its own controller. Hmm. Where a backblaze oh. has. So if a controller fails, you only are down two drives. Right. What's the redundancy? Have you calculated that? Uh, like, what's your fault tolerance? Well, Ceph has lots of nines after the ninety-nine <laughs> uh, for fault tolerance because yeah? it automatically uh, it automatically fixes redundancy when redundancy is lost. So huh. uh, as long as there's enough resources. Enough it, space. Right. It, it, oh. will, it will say, well, let's say like in a RAID 5 with three drives. Yeah. One drive fails, you've lost all your redundancy. With Ceph, what it would do in that same exact situation yeah. is you have three drives, one fails. It now splits all the data with redundancy on two drives. So okay. now you can fail so another you, drive. You still have redundancy. Oh yes, my goodness! As long as you've got wow. enough capacity, right? Wow. So okay, uh, but we're talking about thirty drives, forty-five drives, something like that, in one 
rack mount unit. So yeah. there's a lot of redundancy there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that sounds fantastic. Cool. As long as you have enough capacity. Um, so we're learning that single board computers are not just for makers anymore, and right. we're seeing it even more and more in the enterprise data center. Uh, we're going to learn right after the break what is happening as far as the transition to the data center for single board computers and how single board computing can be used to save thousands of dollars up front, hundreds of dollars every single year ongoing, and just actual hard expenses like electricity, uh, air conditioning, cooling of the server room, yeah. and potentially millions of dollars when it comes to things like data loss. Mm-hmm. Stick around. Welcome back. This is Category 5 Technology TV. I'm joined by Bo from Ameridroid. Hi. And I hear that some of the staff are actually sitting at the office right now. They're supposed to be working. Yeah. What are they doing? I'll I'll give them a pass on this one. But I wanted to say thanks and a big shout out to all of the employees over at Ameridroid and Respect Tech and... um, Basically, we're one big happy family over there mm-hmm. most of the time, <laughs> and uh, there's about uh, close to 20 employees yeah. wow, okay. that run the show, and not the show, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's uh, nice to have them here. Yeah, for yeah. sure. So it takes a lot of people to to provide the level of tech support and customer service that we do, right? And to try to keep all the products on the shelves. Yep. And the products that are supposed to be in boxes. And shipping places are, mm-hmm. and not going to the wrong places or right. mm-hmm. the wrong products going through the wrong places. So, yeah. you know, th- that all takes a lot of work. And yeah, the logistics. So what he's saying I is get imagine. back to work. <laughs> <laughs> well, well done, Anya. You're you're doing a fantastic job, and we have a lot of respect for Ameridroid yeah. up here in Canada. Um, how are single board computers? saving companies money i mean i alluded to it at the at the end of the last segment talking about the electricity bills and Mm -hmm. and things like that but i know that there's a lot of money to be saved by transitioning from traditional server infrastructure to single board computers in the enterprise right well single board computers are getting to the point where they are powerful enough to be used as a desktop replacement like you showed last week with the vim 3 Mm -hmm. and the odroid h2 which Fits in this cool oh. little NAS box uh, wow. from KKSB. Very nice. Uh, I don't have an H2 because they're so popular that by the time they come in, they're already all sent I out. I saw on Twitter <laughs> that you've got boxes all stacked up oh, for yes. the post office. Right, and yeah. that's because H2 showed up on Monday. I left Friday, so yeah. I missed the shipment by a weekend. Oh. But uh, I, I would have snagged one, but then there would be some unhappy customer somewhere <laughs> uh, because they'd have to wait another mm-hmm. week or so yeah. for the next batch to arrive. Mm-hmm. But yes, basically, as fast as they're coming in, we're sending them out. But the H2 actually has a Visa mount. You can mount it on the back. You can buy the Visa on your mount, monitor. Mount it on the back of your monitor and okay. use it as a desktop. Hmm. And wow. I have noticed a lot of people, just in general, are there's more talk about them shunning Windows and moving to Linux. Okay. Um, Consumers and users. Right. right. Like yeah. uh, you know, even businesses. Mm-hmm. So uh, the support costs, I think, are coming down on Linux because it's more mainstream now than yeah. it used to be, mm-hmm. right? And Windows is increasing support costs because we've seen so much like go wrong with the update process yeah. and the licensing right. process and 
you know, any number of things. <laughs> you know, you want to change a component in your system and you have to re, you know, re-audit the system basically yeah. mm-hmm. a lot of times. So, mm-hmm. so, um, so single board computers being used as a desktop replacement, right? And which le- makes sense in business because it performed really well for internet access and uh, using the office suite, things like that. Right. Most of the things that people use now are not locked in like they used to be. Yeah. Like Google yeah. Docs can work on That's pretty it. much anything. And, yeah. And I mean, even you know, some single board computers run Android, and you can actually use Android as a desktop system. Wow. <laughs> Believe it or not. Yeah. I yeah. I, I uh, actually do that. Mm-hmm. And I have a number of single board computers on my desk with each attached to their own monitor. And I use Synergy to combine them all into one yep. cohesive system. Cool. And is Synergy compatible with Android? Synergy is, yes. Really? There, there is a, it's not the most current port, but yep. it's still compatible. Fantastic. So, yeah, you just download the Synergy app. and Synergy lets you use just one keyboard and mouse with as many computers as you have connected. And through the IP network, it lets you use uh, control each one. Right. It seems like uh, multiple desktops. Yeah. Basically, uh, or multiple monitors, multiple on, monitors on a single computer, right. but each one has its own independent right. processing power. The, the one big thing that is hard to do is, I mean, you can't drag a window from one to the other. Yes. Right. Yeah, you, you know. got to get used to that. But uh, actually, I, I did put Synergy. I have an IP phone with a big screen, 7-inch screen on my desk. Yep. And I have Synergy running on that because it's running Android. Mm-hmm. And I actually can use, do desktop stuff on my phone. Cool. <laughs> no <laughs> way. Yes, I use it as a separate so screen. Neat. So sometimes I'll watch Category 5 TV while I'm doing other work. Yeah. And it'll be running on my phone. That's uh, cool. On my desk phone. <laughs> right? And then if a, cool. uh, if a call comes in, it switches to the, the phone interface. Yep. And I hang up and it goes back to Category 5. <laughs> so cool. That's very cool. So in the, in the server room, what are we seeing as far as the transition in hardware? I feel like there's still a little bit of a hesitation in the C-suite, especially with, okay, well, how can a uh, $200 investment in a single board computer option equate when I'm so used to spending $6,000 on uh, a 2U server? Mm-hmm. Well, for companies that are entrenched in Windows servers, this will not Is be a good it? solution. Right. right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but for companies that are more agile and flexible, mm-hmm. you can save a ton of money by going with a single board computer solution. And uh, you're not going to take you know, $111 Odroid H2 and replace your $6,000 server. Of course. Uh, because it doesn't have the storage. It doesn't yeah. have a number of other things. But you can hook it up to storage. Mm-hmm. Right? So, mm. so it's, the price will be something less than $6,000. Sure. But much closer than, to the $111 than to the $6,000. Right. I mean, how many people have a one-use ser- server that's a couple grand right. to do file sharing? And so noisy that nobody can work alongside it. Because, Noise, yeah. heat. Electricity usage. Right. Yeah. And, and then you have to have a huge battery backup to support it. True. Yeah. And a number of other things. So You could use a 3-volt LiPo with <laughs> most of these. <laughs> right. What I'd recommend is, you know, if you get, if you want to do this, replace your server with more than one single board computer. All right. Because that way you can further segment the responsibilities, uh, the server responsibilities to hardware, where... The the previous trend or the the ongoing trend has been to spec a huge server that can run numerous Hyper-V instances or uh, virtual machines, yep. because Microsoft said, "Hey, we're just joking about Microsoft Server being a system that can run everything on one machine." Yeah, yeah. 
unless you unless you segment it out into Hyper V instances mm-hmm. right. that mm-hmm. you know one does the domain controller and one does Exchange and one does you know this and that and the other thing. Mm-hmm. So um, with a single board computer, you can do that, and you can have a second one that does the exact same thing. And it's mirrored or right, it's mirrored, has redundancy. Right, has redundancy. So at worst, the IT guy goes back. Yeah. Moves the Ethernet cable from one to the other, or disconnects one. Right. Yeah. And it fails over. Can I see one of these, like the Rock 64 that you have there? Right. For example. So, so what starts to go through my head as you're speaking like this, Bo, is let's say I've got a, a server with a lot of hard drives in it. That's my mm-hmm. data server, and then I've got it, and it's iSCSI. Right, so mm-hmm. just a scenario for you. So iSCSI being the protocol that I use from my other servers to connect to it for storage. Mm-hmm. So the iSCSI unit provides all the redundancy, provides all the storage and the the actual capacity of my network. But then I've got another one U server that runs Samba. Right. This can become my Samba server. Right. It has USB 3.0 if I want to put an external drive mm-hmm. on it, but it also has gigabit Ethernet. Right. So now I'm connected to my iSCSI from a Debian Buster image here. And if it crashes, how much is that? This ranges from $25 to $50, depending on how much memory you want. So t- pull it out, put yeah. in another one. You can have a couple in the drawer that are already pre-configured yeah, and ready or, to go. Or even in the rack. Because you know? the data is not there. The data is on the iSCSI. Right. And it has a, uh, EMMC as well. So Right. This one EMMC or microSD. Yeah. You know, and you can actually duplicate between the two. So per- if, if the EMMC right? goes down, you have the microSD and vice versa. Yeah. Uh, but, um, yeah, what I was going to say is at Ameridroid, Pretty much everything that we do runs on single board computers. Okay. The whole operation, and we're pretty much paperless. That's cool. So the the only paper that we use is that little uh, packing slip you get. Oh yes. And the label on the box. Yeah. So those are the only two paper products, other than the boxes themselves. Yeah. That hmm. that we use at Ameridroid. <laughs> uh, everything else is done digitally. So uh, the the shippers use tablets to okay. to run through checking and double checking yeah that's time stamped with our camera system because our camera system is built off of uh raspberry pis uh th- this is a case i designed for that and we sold this on our oh. website it's called, oh i love it bo it's called a smooth okay. cam case smooth cam case are you selling right. these yes we do so this is for the raspberry pi camera that's a raspberry pi camera it's and tool- are you it's ready toolless toolless okay yes. on the back quarter inch Right, so that's a regular camera mount. No yeah, so, so you can hook it up to any. Put it on a uh, well on a, a wall mount, wall like mount. your surveillance yes. camera yeah. wall we, mount. We sell the wall mounts for yeah. like next to nothing. I think they're like brilliant, less than five dollars for the wall mount. So all your cameras awesome. are powered by a Raspberry so Pi. All, all our cameras are Raspberry Pis. So that makes them independent of one another too. So normally your DVR goes down, all of your cameras right. are down. Right. Oh. So the cameras send their data. They can send their data to more than one server. <laughs> so. So uh, we have an Odroid U3 and a 1U uh, enclosure yeah. that has an external USB 2 mm-hmm. <laughs> hard drive, and it's only 100 megabit Ethernet. And it can handle 1080p, 30 frames per second cameras really? throughout our business. Fantastic. And not only that, but it timestamps each segment that is, um, that is uh that has motion in it. Mm-hmm. Right. So when the when the shippers are doing the things on their tablets mm-hmm. and they click, I'm going to start getting the items, collecting the items for this order. They'll click a button. Yeah, it looks like a bin because that's where they put things in. Yeah, and um, and it automatically timestamps or it automatically links to all of the camera images, all the camera videos 
for that time. Oh, neat. So wow, in the future, cool. if there's a problem with an order, we can just go to that order, click on the play button, and, and boom, see all the is. cameras. And then from we can that time. also watch the person uh, cross-checking it. Yeah, uh, the, the timestamps out as well. And mm -hmm. then that receipt has a barcode on it. I don't know if you noticed that, but we have a Nvidia Shield tablet. And they just hold that barcode underneath the NVIDIA Shield, oh. and it timestamps it saying it's going into the box. So oh, that's cool. neat. So wow. we can see every step of the process without having to go search through hours of footage yeah. right. to try to find it. Wow. So it makes it super easy. Single board computers are amazing. If the camera goes down, it's like, big deal. Throw another one up there. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, uh, you can put uh, 100 cameras on one U3, you know, uh, which is... U3 being another uh, single board, board computer. Yes. Yeah. And uh, it came out in, I think, 2013 or 2014. Yeah. So it's not like a brand new mm -hmm. single board computer. It's got 100 megabit Ethernet and USB 2, like I said. Yeah. And that's uh, how it's storing all this data because that's wonderful. when you have an H.264 stream, it compresses pretty well. Yeah. And so that's all that's getting sent over the network. Hmm. Wow. Very so cool. Now, yeah, there's, there's amazing things you can do with single board computers. And, and so your warehouse is, is utilizing these things like crazy. Are there any... Yes. Are there any big businesses that come to mind or institutions that are using uh, single board computing in their infrastructure? I think we're still in the infancy, but there are companies, especially in the single board computer market, that have, sure, been, yeah. that have been proving that this is a thing. So Raspberry Pi, their system for the launch of the Raspberry Pi 4, and I think that's the entire system runs on Raspberry Pi 4 cluster. Yeah. Hmm. So, oh, wow. Uh, Pine64's website... Blog, right? I forum. All their stuff runs on a cluster of Rock Pro 64s. Yeah, right. In Iraq. Yeah. And so the so the manufacturers are utilizing their own hardware. Finally, right. really, right. when it comes down to it, like they're finally at the point where they feel like, hey, this can be our data center. You know, a, a and funny, they're proving it. A funny story is that when uh, when uh, Hard Kernel came over to visit us mm -hmm. right after we started. I showed them how we were using single board computers yeah. as our infrastructure, and he and they were mostly Odroid products. And he said, "I'm not sure that I would trust our products yet." <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, "Well, why would you have a problem trusting him when you can have redundancy?" Yeah, you know? sure. So if you have redundancy, any any fear you have of, of losing data or things going down is less lesser than if you have like yeah. a single point of failure server you know a motherboard like an our server rack where we do uh, non ameridroid stuff yeah <laughs> our parent company they have you know huge server racks uh, with servers in them like and traditional they have to have uh, additional motherboards on hand okay. to replace right. Right. Yeah. a motherboard if it goes out right because you can't have redundant motherboards that's yeah. a lot of work too rack. like you've so got to <laughs> you have to rebuild the entire thing you do. versus yeah. having a drawer full of pre-configured things that cost a fraction of the price right now are we at the point with you know being able to use single board computers for enterprise where somebody could walk in and say hey here's a you know, I hate to use the term, but like a sales pitch and go, this is what you do. You know, we've got a, you know, we could use this single board computer for this function, this for this, and redo somebody's entire workplace. Like, are we at the point where we could do that, or is it still kind of piecing it together? It wouldn't be an off-the-shelf solution right now. Yeah, fair enough. Right. Right. So, so uh, a consultant that is well-versed in Linux and... Mm -hmm. um, and the necessary technologies that the company is using. If there's no, 
you know, like if something that requires an Active Directory from Windows, right? Yeah. You're probably going to want to keep a Windows server, right? It's just switched to LDAP. The way it is, yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> but, but for most other companies, you could say, here's what you do, and here's an equivalent system that runs on single board computers for much less lower right. power. And uh, you know, we leave our single board computers on all the time <laughs> because they they just take so little power. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah the, Maybe as uh, as the C-suite watching this and the the IT managers watching this, like hunt down within your organization those who are creative makers and like set aside some time every week and say, okay, let's let's get you a couple of little fifty dollar micro single board computers and see what you can come up with. Right, and uh, you know a great way to do this is to start with building a small system and testing it and then once you've done that migrate a work group to it yeah and right yeah that's basically what we did at Meridroid is we started out with with standard infrastructure mm-hmm. and over time we've migrated completely to single board computers so um, our entire files uh, our file server is a Odroid XU4 running on a cloud shell 2 system which is a custom raid NAS box yeah made by hard kernel but it's it's uh, a commodity unit. You can buy any of the, of the components for it. Right. And uh, so if anything goes wrong, you just pop out the $50 XU4 with a, and put a new one in it, or you change out the microSD or the EMMC module, mm-hmm. or change out the hard drives, and you're back up and running. Pretty simple. But yeah. it's pretty bulletproof. And Very good. That's been, cool. Yeah. Um, now, I noticed that you've brought some stuff with you, and we've been kind of reaching over here. Can we see some of the, some of the things that you've brought? what sure. and how this is going to impact us in the data center. This one looks right. really cool because it... Yeah, this may or may not be a, a great solution for the data center okay. uh, because of its design. But uh, what this is a great solution for is any company or institution that wants to investigate cluster computing. Can I show this to the, sure. to the folks at home? What I see here, it looks like a SODEM, but it has an A64 brand on it and i see also on the back i've got a micro sd port here so what's this this is the that's the so pine module from uh, pine 64 yeah and this is the pine 64 cluster board okay so this will take seven of these modules so that chip that you have that looks like a memory chip is the single board computer that is the single board computer okay um, there is no HDMI or display output sure. on this. server-based. This is meant to be run headless. Mm-hmm. But uh, let's say you're developing something that you want to run as a uh, clustered system, mm-hmm. and you don't want to invest the thousands of dollars to, to spec a test system to oh, okay. test out your software. Yeah, yeah. Well, you can do that with this, and then you can determine what are your needs. Mm-hmm. You know, okay. how, does, how does this performance compare to what performance you need? Right. Right. And uh, it was just announced, well, not really announced, but but uh, the founder... Oh, so this is inside information, <laughs> folks. Well, not, not really. It hasn't really been announced, but you're going to be hearing about this There, There was now. an interview by, I believe it was Tech <laughs> Republic, All with right. T.L. Lim, yeah. the founder of Pine64. And he's, uh, T.L. Lim said that the Rock or the SO Rock module, which is based on the Rock Pro 64, I believe, mm-hmm. is going to be available. And it may or may not work in this cluster board or may have its own <laughs> cluster board. I don't know. Oh, we got to know. It's too early mm-hmm. for us to know this yet. But a really cool thing about this cluster board is you've got one Ethernet con- uh, gigabit controller, 
I believe this is gigabit, and then you've got these are all it's a built-in switch, so all of these are connected via a switch to that one gigabit port. Okay. So yeah. they all have their own MAC address and right. Okay. Huh. And then you've got uh, both the barrel jack connector or an ATX connector, so you can c- connect an ATX power supply. And it looks like a, a standard micro ATX form factor as right. well. So you can put that in a standard case. I believe so. Yeah. And then it has full-size USB ports for each module and micro SD, or sorry, micro, micro USB ports for each right, module right. and GPIO for each module as well. <laughs> oh, and then it has a, a shared <laughs> Holy uh, NMC socket there. Sweet. And I believe this battery here is for, um, is for saving state if the system loses power. Okay, wow. like RTC, the clock, right. and everything yeah, else. Like that. Yeah. So this board costs ninety nine dollars, and then each of the each of the SO dim uh, SO pines cost uh, thirty bucks, I think. Wow! Uh, That's so you insane. can actually build a really capable cluster for less than two hundred bucks. We have a lot of universities that order these from us yeah. because they're doing a lot of cluster research. Yeah, right. Right. So they want to try different algorithms out. Where that each of these boards has a quad core processor and two gigs of RAM, I believe, and <laughs> and so they can they can run with twenty eight cores or whatever it is. Holy <laughs> cow! So do I when I cluster these on the cluster board? Am I going to get like six, seven times the performance of a single A sixty four single board computer? Um, independently, yes, you'll get seven times the performance. Now the rest. Like, if you're doing a cluster application, that's, you want to get seven times the performance. That's yeah. the goal. Yeah, okay. The question is, are you going to be able to get that? Right. And that right. depends on your algorithm and your use case oh. and all those things. So okay. that's why they're, they would want to use a system like this is to tweak and optimize mm-hmm. their algorithms to operate over a multiple system cluster. Right. And if I didn't want to take that advantage of the cluster board, increasing performance, is it possible... I don't want to put all the focus on this, but this is really cool. Um, is it possible to have seven A64s, with the A64 being a very capable board on its own? Right, that's what, put the, Debian, that's what the Pinebook uses. Yeah, so put Debian on each of these. Would they operate as independent Debian yes. machines? So they this would. would show up as seven Debian installs on my network, and each one I can set up independently of one another. Right. And you can also run uh-huh. Debian and Ubuntu and whatever right. flavors on different models. Yeah, yeah, whatever you need, time. right? So and you've you got GPIO. If you want to try running your oh. algorithm on multiple systems at the same time, you can oh. do that. So Mo- uh, compiling across multiple different distros and things like that would right. be great too. Yeah. Do some benchmarks. That is cool. Anything else to show us today? Um, sure. Well, on that on that line, we have the the uh, Odroid MC1 Solo, my cloud, right? Um, my MC, cloud, yes, my cloud, yeah, <laughs> right. right. So this is actually a a red-haired stepchild because it accidentally had. <laughs> Sorry, Jeff. I'm not talking about you, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> Won't take it personal. <laughs> Because this has, this is not supposed to have the SATA connector on it. Right, yeah, that's This odd. is actually the same board that's used in the uh, HC1 and the HC2. Yeah, so, yeah. So if you look, it's it's the same board. Right. Okay. Uh, okay. And th- 
in here it's supposed to have the SATA connector. <laughs> right. Okay. But not in the MC1. So I use this one as a demo. And it's, it's kind of fun because it's not very often that you get a fluke. Yeah. Right. But you can stack as many of these as you want on top of each other. And uh, we actually installed TensorFlow on it as a cluster yeah. to, do, uh, to do object recognition. AI? And, yeah, AI mm -hmm. and other, other things. So, so it will operate AI? TensorFlow is? Yeah. Like, TensorFlow okay. is an AI um, algorithm by Google. Yeah. Wow. So is there an advantage over that versus like the Jetson or the, uh, the, XU, uh, the uh, Vim 3? Which have the... Well, those have in integrated actual AI uh, silicon. This does? This does not. This does not. Right. So, so those would perform faster for those... For, for the software that See, I'm just getting it. my head around right. the, the TensorFlow. For software that supports it, right. Yeah. But uh, this can be used for any number of different things. Same, same as the SOPINE. Yeah. Right. And uh, so you can stack you know, multiples of these and have... You can have like a whole... Towers. I, I believe Hardkernel made <laughs> a cryptocurrency miner out of a bunch of these. Okay. So, <laughs> so it, awesome. they're, just they're, because they can. <laughs> right. There's different types of cryptocurrency mining or cryptocurrency proof um, algorithms, and one of them is called proof of stake time or proof of um, there's proof of uh, work time and mm -hmm. a third one. Uh, well, only one of them uses a ton of CPU, and that's the one that Bitcoin uses. Right. Mm. The other ones use either a lot of memory or, or other mm. other things. And because these have two gigabytes of RAM in them each, oh. they have the memory. They don't need the, a ton of CPU. So right. they're great for mining certain coins. Oh, cool. And huh. I think Hardkernel used it to mine Varium. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that's... that's uh, How interesting. And then you mentioned the, the Jetson, which we also sell. So this is, this is the, the Jetson Nano developer and kit. That carries an NVIDIA... Right, this it. is the NVIDIA. It's got wow. a whole lot of CUDA cores. I forget how many. On a single board computer. On a single board computer. Wow. Which is wild. So you've seen, you'll probably see a lot of these running. I want to mine on that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know about mining because it's still using ARM CPUs, but the, it's the GPU cores that are really the... That's the, it, the if you can tap here. into those. Right, yeah. and so you'll see this running a lot of uh, autonomous robots. Okay, you know, right. Before, yeah. For it's got to be able purposes. to process in real time right. video right. for bump detection and right. yeah. object orientation. Yeah, and this has four uh, USB 3 ports. Right. And so Beautiful. you can attach a lot of high throughput devices to right. it. Yeah, cool. So, I mean, point in case, there, there is such a plethora of, of different types of single board computers for all kinds of uses. You right. showed me a little tiny one as well. Oh, and, right. like, speaking of, like, can you think of a use what? case for something like that? So, so this the most the, the biggest component on on this is the Ethernet port, it, which is basically the whole thing. If you if you look, yeah, about eighty percent or seventy five percent of the volume of this is the Ethernet port. Yeah, um, the actual computer is just this top one inch square okay. postage stamp size piece. And what's this one? This is called a Vocor two. Mm -hmm. It comes in a light, a standard, and ultimate. This is the ultimate mode. The light and the standard are just the top piece, and so you can oh, okay. you can connect. So to you the want GPI that Ethernet around the edge? Okay, yeah, yeah. There's micro SD controller. There's USB, uh, UART, Ethernet, um, a lot of different you know uh, a lot of different GPIOs on here. That's nuts. So and it's got built-in <laughs> Wi-Fi. 
and it has built-in storage. It's not a ton of storage, but it has a built-in OS uh, based on Linux. So again, it's, it's just like, what is your and use a case? Web so a built-in web server, too. So this, is, this actually comes, sh- the ships with OpenWRT on it. So it's a router? Yes. <laughs> so, really? <laughs> so um, I actually use one of these in the Amerabus, and I have a, they actually make something called a, um, uh, a vocam for this. That's okay. a 1080p camera. Oh, neat. And so this basically becomes this and that little camera, yeah. which you could just mount anywhere mm-hmm. on here. Mm-hmm. So basically I have a camera that's about two inches square. Yeah. Uh, or two square inches, I should say. Okay, yeah. Uh, or two cubic inches. I don't know. I, everything's in yes. feet up here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> two cubic inches, and I won't, I won't convert that to centimeters for you. How many, zero, <laughs> how many uh, decimal places of a foot is that? <laughs> yeah. So uh, anyway, that turns it into a Wi-Fi camera. And so uh, we were having a maker meeting the other day, and we're upstairs, and downstairs the door was locked because it's also a business. And uh, some people come late, so I had this running in Amerabus pointing at the door, Mm -hmm. and upstairs on my phone I had it streaming. Okay. And I just connected directly to this because we didn't have Wi-Fi in in the makerspace uh, (laughs) at the time. So. Brilliant. So anyway, I could I could see when somebody was coming to the door and send somebody down to unlock it. <laughs> That's <laughs> wild. Cool. So I, I yeah, cannot, like you do crazy things with these. I can't believe that something that small has now become a computer. Yeah. Right. I mean, you go back to the days of what was a World War II when they took up massive room with space yeah, discs. Yeah. It's like and that's more right. powerful. This, is nuts. <laughs> this uh, you can make it like a automated garage door opener or. With a, with a camera. But you'd, of course, set it up for voice activation and everything else and network so connectivity crazy. for Amazon Echo. And, and they also sell a USB display that we also sell. It's called a, a Vo display. It's, it's uh, 4.3 inches, 800 by 480. Yeah. So it's, it, it's like cell phone quality screen. <laughs> Fantastic. And, uh, and so you can like build a little mini system out of this. And uh, wow. it starts at $12.95. Oh, my goodness. This particular one's about 45 So do you see what I'm saying? Like, find that person within your organization who can like tinker with this stuff it's such a small investment but such a huge savings if wow. when you get to that point and i think mm-hmm. we're seeing that like software is coming out that is ready to deploy we're right. seeing things like um, piehole is a great adva- uh, a great example of a dns server that right. that operates not only as a dns server but as a filtering uh, list subscription service like right. by 9 dns blocking and, and things like that based on lists. Right. So we, you also, can, we also sell uh, official piehole device. Yeah, but you Raspberry could put Pi's, it on yeah. any one of these things. Right. And, and it's just an example of a piece of software that, hey, if you want to take a look at that, you can deploy it on any single board computer, try it in your organization. A school would do very well with something like a piehole, yeah. which is it would be able to filter things like pornographic websites and block advertising and everything else mm-hmm. within, the organ- within the building. Right. It's very customizable. You yeah. Can, you can tell what you want to block and what you don't want to block. So we're starting to see those types of programs that are available for free to download. Mm-hmm, and right. you just get an S- SBC, and once you've deployed it, you're ready to go. Right, yeah. That's fantastic. So the, there's, yeah, this is what's running the... Uh, the if you go on to pine64.org, mm-hmm. most of what you see there is running off of these. Their really? whole so, server is yes, that. It's just a bunch of That's these their slotted. server. Slotted in a, in a rack. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but 
Bo, you're in the industry, um, just as we kind of wrap up our discussion today. So you, you see the evolution of this more than any of us, because by the time it gets to us, it's at the consumer level. Mm-hmm. Where is single board computing going? Like, what are we going to see this year that, um, that is really getting you excited? Well, uh, a few things I'm seeing that are really exciting me right now are uh, devices like the Pinebook Pro. This is the Pinebook. Yeah. The Pinebook Pro is coming out, and that's going to be... The Pinebook is fine for light computing. Right. But now we're looking... This is the board again. Right. So that's what the Pinebook Pro is going to be running off of right there. Rock Uh, Pro 64. Basically a modified version of that board. And that will be able to run Chromium, basically a Chromebook. Yep. Uh, It runs Android. It also runs various flavors of Linux. Whatever you want. So if you want a Linux laptop... Yeah. You'll, you should be able to get it for somewhere around two hundred dollars, <laughs> with you know, well appointed actually with a with a alloy case and yeah, yeah. Uh, EMMC storage camera, ten eighty p screen, uh, long battery life, right? You know, a lot of different options. And a great thing about that is it's not going to have any of the bloatware on it. Right? Yeah. So yeah. first of all, it's not running Windows; it's running Linux. Yeah. So you can be assured about your privacy. And what, that's another thing that you were mentioning about where single board uh, computers going. Mm-hmm. I think in general, a lot of single board computers are uh, embracing the privacy issues that people are feeling yeah. mm-hmm. uh, when their data is getting mishandled by cloud computing companies yeah, yeah. or or like the, the big players in tech like Google or Microsoft or Amazon or whoever it may be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they allow you to take back control of your data. Uh, for instance, uh, I have all of our photos stored on an Odroid U3 with a hard, attached hard drive at home. Yeah. And I can, I can, I wrote a little web server for that, mm-hmm. that our web, website actually that allows me to log in and we can pull up any pictures from anywhere you know, of our whole, you know, our whole archive of photos that takes up, you know, hundreds of gigabytes. Yeah. Hmm. So I don't have it on a cloud somewhere. Yeah. It's your own personal cloud. My own personal cloud, right. Yeah. And so I've got full control over that data. Yeah. And I think that that is being translated as, like, folks like Pine64, they're listening to that need. They're listening and hearing mm-hmm. the community saying, we really want these privacy features. And you mentioned the Pinebook Pro, right. which um, Wukash had just announced that they are actually going to be putting tactile switches that right. on a hardware level will disable Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, and, and add that additional right, layer yeah, so of protection. Turn off your webcam. You won't have to stick a Band-Aid over your yeah. webcam anymore. Exactly. Right. You can actually physically turn it off. Yeah. Right. So they're uh, ju- but they're listening, and, and they're making right. these changes to what is an open uh, platform and, and redesigning based on user requests. And right, yeah. And the, the putting pine- in keyboards that are ANSI compatible, right. <laughs> that kind of stuff. Well, another thing about the uh, A64 here is it's also going to be it's all the backbone of the Pine phone that they're coming out with right. uh, probably right. the fourth yeah. quarter of this year. Yeah. And again, it's a privacy-centric Linux yeah. smartphone. We've which got is the switches on there, too. Really yeah. a hard thing to find nowadays. Yes. Is, uh, you know, there, there have been a few people who have attempted Linux smartphones. Yeah. Um, and I think Librem is one of the, the current front runners there, but they're still not available. And they're going to be and a, lot more a lot more expensive. Yeah. So you'll be able to get your feet wet with a Linux privacy smartphone yeah. 
for some, probably somewhere around $150. Wonderful. And it may not be your daily phone that mm-hmm. you use for everything, but right. it may be. You know, sure. It, it may, might be the next generation is your daily phone. Depends yeah. on how into right. Angry Birds you are. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, there, there are going to be some issues, you know, because you're not going to be able to easily play Android games yeah. on it. Yeah. But, but for, for day-to-day, people that just phone calls, use, yeah, Discord. You know, a fully secure phone. Yeah. This is a, a great option. Mm-hmm. And I'm really excited to see it. You know, six-inch screen, yep. a high-resolution screen, and uh, nicely specced. So it, it's not going to be as fast as your Samsung or your sure, iPhone. Right. But, a lot but cheaper. But it's going to be a lot cheaper and a lot more private. Yeah. Basically, yeah. as private as And it's open source. Like, right. you can download the OS for it, the one that you want. Right. You can modify it, customize it, and there make it the way you want it. of OSs in development. Like, Love it. Uh, Postmarket and Sailfish and uh, Loon and yeah, just a bunch of different ones. Yeah, so. and it's going to continue to grow. Awesome. Well, we've been speaking with Bo from Ameridroid. Check them out, Ameridroid.com. We incidentally have a coupon code if you want to support us and uh, l- let them know that uh, their their visit here was uh, was noticed. Uh, use Cat Five TV Supporter is the coupon code to use, and that will. Uh, I guess you guys will throw a little bit of money. Right. In my yeah. It, it gives you. It gives <laughs> the the customer a dollar off, which is not a whole lot, but mm-hmm. but. It, the the main goal is to get Robbie money. <laughs> so uh, a, I need to buy a new wig. A, a more significant portion of the sale goes to Robbie. To category five to, to, yes. to clarify. Oh, yes. <laughs> I don't take a commission. <laughs> well, you're volunteers. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, to, to, to funding channel. category five technology TV and and the expenses that we have here. So, and what do you think of the place? I mean, this is your first time here in Barrie. Uh, you're in our studio. Uh, it's, this is a rare privilege to have a guest in the studio marshman well, came up and joined us i've seen you you know watch your live show every chance i get mm-hmm. and um and then i watch the recorded show when i don't get the chance to watch right, the live yeah. show and sometimes i get to watch parts of each because i i come late but you you sold the studio as being small and and it's not really that small i no? I, I think it's mm-hmm. well appointed Yes. We've tried to utilize the space as well as possible. That's for sure. That's very nice. Well, it's nice to have you here. Thank you both for for being here. Rosemary is uh, in our audience today, and uh, it's great having you up here with us. And thanks for sharing your knowledge. And uh, uh, remember, check out Ameridroid.com. Anytime you want to purchase an SBC, they're the best place to go. And use that Cat5 TV supporter uh, coupon code in order to help support the show as well. So. Thanks for being here. Thank you. We do have to head over to the newsroom. We're just going to fade to black and uh, transition ourselves and throw it over to Sasha. Here are the stories we're covering this week in the Category 5.TV newsroom. British Airways is facing a record fine of £183 million, nearly $230 million US dollars for last year's breach of its security systems. You'll be able to pre-order the hotly anticipated $199 Pinebook Pro this month. Researchers from the Microsoft Defender Advanced Threat Protection Research Team have issued a warning to confirm that a notorious credential-stealing malware threat is targeting Windows users. And the Raspberry Pi 4, announced two weeks ago, is the Raspberry Pi Foundation's first-ever USB-C device. And, well, they made a pretty hefty mistake. As it turns out, the Pi 4 has a non-compliant USB-C charging port and doesn't work with many charger- as many chargers as it should. These stories are coming right up. Don't go anywhere. This is the Category 5.TV Newsroom, covering the week's top tech stories with a slight Linux bias. 
I'm Sasha Rickman, and here are the top stories we're following this week. British Airways is facing a record fine of 183 million pounds, nearly 230 million dollars U.S. for last year's breach of its security systems. The airline, owned by AIG, said it's surprised and disappointed by the penalty from the Information Commissioner's Office, or the ICO. At the time, British Airways said hackers had carried out a sophisticated, malicious criminal attack on its website. The ICO said the incident took place after users of British Airways' website was diverted to a fraudulent site. Through this false site, details of about 500. Thousand customers were harvested by the attackers. The ICO said, "Information Commissioner Elizabeth Denham said, 'Quote: People's personal data is just that, personal. When an organization fails to protect it from loss, damage, or theft, it is more than an inconvenience.'" She goes on to say, "That's why the law is clear. When you are entrusted with someone's personal data, you must look after it. Those that don't will face scrutiny from my office to check that they have taken appropriate steps to protect fundamental privacy rights." End quote. The ICO said that this is the biggest penalty that it has ever handed out, and the first to be made public under the new rules. Wow, Jeff, I feel like they're making an example. Uh, just a little. <laughs> like yeah. that's a massive fine. Yeah. And I mean, you look at all the other data breaches that there's been. Uh, like, I, I don't. Maybe I'm missing something in the story, but I don't understand how. You can hit that kind of fine for that data breach,、mm. but let the others slide. Now, maybe think, it's just because I think it's, it's new、game. regulations. Well, yeah, and that's what like this is the first under those new regs, right? To to be charged. Now, some of the other massive data breaches they were on American soil, were they not?、Mm. As opposed a lot of them, okay.、Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that might be part of it is is geographical boundaries, but yep. yeah, I mean, that's a massive hit.、Mm-hmm. Uh, it, Guaranteed, somebody there is going to go. Let's make sure we do things properly next time. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, everybody, I think, is going to have、sure. their eyes open now, right? Well, companies need to be wise to data privacy concerns, and these、mm-hmm. days, it's it's not it's not optional anymore. Like people, right? I, I talk about ransomware and and things like that a fair bit. What we don't necessarily realize is if we have remote desktop open, and somebody compromises that with a brute force attack. Yes, ransomware is one method that they can use to exploit your systems, because they get in there and they can encrypt your data. But sometimes data theft is part of that.、Mm-hmm. Sometimes a combination of the two. Maybe download a couple of gigabytes worth of data and then encrypt your files. You don't、right. really know what they're up to if you're not meticulously watching, which you're not because you've got RDP open,、right. as an example, right? So, so I say, like, you've got to be as a business, you've got to be more mindful these days、mm-hmm. that ransomware and data theft is a real thing. That's why we use Kingston DT two thousands, yeah, the encrypted. USB flash drives. That's why we、uh, we don't have RDP open on our networks. We use something、uh, such as ConnectWise in、right. in its place, so we can still remote into our computers from our home. But something like ConnectWise,、uh, using that as the example, because they force two-factor authentication. So when I sign up for my account and I set up remote access to my computer, well, nobody else can gain access to that unless they've got what. Your phone, Robbie's phone. Yeah, they're not going to be able to access my computers. Well, exactly. And I mean, when I think about these fines, I, you know, I kind of equated a little bit to, like, the hands-free 
driving law that we have here in Ontario. Mm -hmm. Like at first it was like a, I think a $50 fine and it didn't work. And so legislation kept changing, upping it, upping it, upping it. And now it's like three points. It's the death penalty. Like it's massive. (laughs) But the sad thing is it's not still not a deterrent. Like the, the amount of people that I see still using their phones while driving. And I'm just like, what do they have to do? Like, do you need to lose your license for six months? And so I'm, I'm hoping with all these data breaches we've been seeing that a huge fine like yeah. this is going to cause companies to go, we have to take this serious. Yes. And, and to avoid that, we're going to put the extra steps in place to make sure we're not one of those companies that ends up on the news. It's such an interesting comparison that you've created there. Because now I think, okay, well, how many of us have heard about a death because somebody was talking, was texting on their phone while driving on the highway? Yeah. And yet you still continue to do it. Right. How many many of us have heard of data breaches and ransomware attacks, and yet we still continue to have lax security practices? Yeah. I I think that the fines need to start going up and up, and especially if you're a repeat, you know, negligent person yeah. who's been hit so like like because we've covered a couple stories now where people have been hit a couple times and yeah. it's like you oh know, yeah if, if I hear you didn't learn the, the first time, time like yeah. your fines go through the roof and, and I think it needs to be quite heavy and here you go so based on that if you get hit by ransomware you bankrupt if you get hit by data theft you bankrupt <laughs> just by the government yeah. that's all <laughs> You'll be able to pre-order the hotly anticipated $199 Pinebook Pro this month. Pine64, the U.S.-based company behind a growing range of ARM-powered Linux devices, said Pinebook pre-orders will go live July 25, 2019. Pine64's 14.1-inch laptop will now include privacy switches to disable the internal Bluetooth and Wi-Fi module, the webcam, and the built-in microphone, all at, at the hardware level. This is achieved using a special keyboard firmware, which is not part of the main OS, that cuts power to the rev- relevant module when a specific short keyboard shortcut key combo is pressed. Pine64 will give pre-order priority to members of the, their forum who registered before July 1st. These members can also benefit from a limited time storage upgrade of 126 giga, gigabytes. 128, 128, to be clear. You 128 get a, two gigabytes. extra gigabytes. Oh, <laughs> Versus the 64 gigabyte eMMC on, on, in, on offer in the regular retail version. This is so exciting. Like, we're talking about a single board computer powered, reasonable daily driver laptop. Yeah. Yes. I'm excited about this. I didn't realize the July 1st one, though. Oh. Cut off. So I'm sitting here going, crud! Oh, for signing up to the. Yeah. So you'll be be thanking your lucky stars if you listened to us and signed up for their forum way back. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Clearly, I didn't. Uh, Oh. Sorry for your luck. That must be an episode I missed. You're going to be waiting. I love that they are like it's favoring their community and sure. favoring those who are already a part of their community and and you know those who are not you're like kicking yourself and going oh I know. Well, go sign up and I be a part like, of that community and that's kind of the guy the who thing. sits like outside a record store 30 years ago for 12 hours <laughs> waiting for the new CD release and everybody else is like ah, I work there so. <laughs> now you can just get it off of Amazon before it comes out yeah for like a billion dollars <laughs> Uh, that is, it's going to be like earth shattering because, yes. okay, the Pine Book really showed me that that a cheap, and, and cheap as in like very 
ultra affordable mm-hmm. laptop can be made using this new technique that is utilizing single board computers. Now they're taking that to the next level. So what was the A64 based Pinebook and now is becoming uh, like the Pinebook Pro, which is the Rock Pro 64 mainboard. So it's faster, it's got more memory, it's got more power, it's got, it's really going to feel like a proper laptop. Mm-hmm. And Linux can go on there, you've got Android, you've got all kinds of stuff. Yep, I'm really excited. It's going to be awesome. Let us know if you get one, um, and make sure you post below what you are going to be using yours for. Uh, I think this could be my daily driver. Oh, I don't do gaming, awesome. I just program a lot. Mm-hmm. Right. And I use the internet. I use like things like uh, Google Drive. I use uh, Gmail for my email. So, like, uh, as long as I've got access to coding, internet, um, surfing, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, like I'm our, great. our oldest son is homeschooled. Yeah. And I'm thinking this would be great for him for his school laptop. Sure. Like, be awesome. They're stunning yeah. too. Incidentally, they're stunning. Yeah. <laughs> He'll be super excited. Mm-hmm. Researchers from the Microsoft Defender Advanced Threat Protection Research Team have issued a warning to confirm that a notorious credential-stealing malware threat is targeting Windows users. What makes this one so dangerous is that it it uses an invisible man methodology by only running files within the attack chain that are legitimate systems tools, and so it hides in plain sight. The Astroauth Trojan can employ many techniques, including key logging and clipboard monitoring, to steal login credentials. However, it is the way that it exploits living off the land binaries, or LOL bins, that has created a certain level of infamy for the malware. In the case of the threat campaign that the newly published Microsoft report confirms, it was the Windows Management Instrumentation Command Line, or WMIC, that was the LOL bin in question. Andrea Lally, part of the Microsoft Defender ATP research team and author of the report, notes that the victim still has to click on a malicious link in an email to initiate the attack chain via a file that runs an obfuscated batch file. I'll help you with that. Obfuscated. (laughs) Obfuscated. I can say it in practice. (laughs) This batch file, in turn, runs the legitimate WMIC system tool in such a way that an obfuscated Obfuscated. Obfuscated. (laughs) We'll edit that in and post. (laughs) JavaScript file runs automatically. With this one, the background intelligent transfer service admin tool is used to download payloads. Lully explained that these kinds of fileless attacks run the malicious payloads, quote, directly in memory of leverage on on leverage legitimate systems tools to run malicious code without having to drop executable files on the disk, end quote. Eli Salem, a security researcher at Cyber Reason who uncovered another Astroroth attack earlier this year, says that these attacks are considered challenging to detect as the full process of the deployment and execution of the malware is by way of those Windows LOL bins. He says, quote, to the average person, this activity can seem like a legitimate Windows activity because it's being executed by Windows processes, end quote. That's the scary thing is we trust these tasks. Yes. And so we think that it's safe. Well, and I mean, I think of the average computer user. I mean, you've got, you know, take for instance my parents mm-hmm. who didn't grow up in the computer age. And so, you know, I get a phone call going, the computer's making a funny noise. What do I do? 
Right. Well, what does that mean? You know, so where do I them, insert the Bitcoin? Well, yeah, like they trust <laughs> Windows. And so something like this, they're not going to have any clue. And next thing you know, mm -hmm. their system's compromised. Mm -hmm. And they're not going to know. And it's an email attachment that comes in. Right. right. I mean, that's one way that it can infiltrate the system. Mm -hmm. So if that email attachment is clicked by anyone on your network, uh, be it a business or home, then you're compromised. Yep. And who knows what the payload is? It's scary. Oh. That's the, and, and you think about, okay, well, a, a small payload like key logging, how many of us ever put our credit card number into the clipboard or confidential know. information? Maybe we copy something to the, the clipboard to paste it into a website to That's log in. Yeah, but it, a lot of us use the clipboard, like copy and paste, yeah. to, for a password or something like that. Exactly. I'm notorious for it. Maybe I need to be a little more wary of it now, mm -hmm. thinking about these key loggers. Because yep. what do I do? I don't have LastPass installed on a public computer. Right. But I can log into LastPass using a, a private window, copy my password, and then paste it to get into a site. But now I'm thinking, maybe that's really bad practice because I don't know if somebody previously had clicked on one of those key loggers. Right. right. On a public computer, yeah. On, you don't know on any should, computer. Yeah. Could be any computer. That's true. Who knows where the information is going now. Mm -hmm. so. Oh, it's scary. scary. Sorry to scare you folks. Mm. Do you have a, a different news for us? Different news. Something a little less ominous than somebody hacking our networks. Right, exactly. <laughs> the Raspberry Pi 4, announced two weeks ago, is the Raspberry Pi Foundation's first ever USB-C device. And, well, they made a pretty hefty mistake. As it turns out, the Pi 4 has a non-compliant USB-C charging port and doesn't work with as many chargers as it should. Thanks to the open nature of Raspberry Pi, even the schematics are online, Tyler Ward was able to discover that Raspberry Pi didn't design the USB-C port correctly. Two CC pins on a USB-C port are supposed to each get their own 5.1K OHMS resistor, but Raspberry Pi came up with its own circuit design that allows them to share a single resistor. This is not a compliant design and breaks compatibility with some of the more powerful USB-C chargers out there. Whether USB-C charger works with the, with the Pi 4 has to do with whether it uses an E-marked cable. E-marked cables are full-featured USB-C cables with chips inside that negotiate power management, accessory modes, data rates, and other communication specs. Cool stuff, right? But since the Pi 4's USB-C port is wired incorrectly, these smart cables will detect it as an audio adapter accessory and refuse to charge them. Benton Luing, an engineer at Google and one of the Internet's foremost USB-C implementation experts, said, quote, instead of trying to come up with some clever circuit, hardware designers should simply copy the figure from the USB-C specs exactly. This isn't simply a rough guideline of the way of the way of one would make a USB-C receptacle, it's actually normative, meaning mandatory, requiring, required by the spec in order to call your system a compliant USB-C power sink. Just copy it, end quote. Raspberry Pi co-founder Evan Upton admits the issue, saying, quote, I expect this will be fixed in a future board revision, but for now users will need to apply one of the suggested workarounds. It's surprising this didn't show up in our quite extensive field testing program. 
end quote. The suggested workarounds are just to use a non e-marked cable like the official Pi 4 charger. The Pi 4 is not the first high-profile device to get the USB-C spec wrong. The Nintendo Switch also has a non-compliant USB-C port and has had issues with certain USB-C cables as a result. It's unfortunate. My kids would say oof. I am confused <laughs> why, it, why one would want to mess with it if it is designed with in a way spec? that works. <laughs> well, the USB-C spec, I mean, if they wanted to use a, a single 5.1 ohm resistor instead yeah. of two, but that's just a, um, they're just... But why? why? As, as it, was said, it, like, it's, they're trying it, to manipulate... Does it manipulate. cost that much less to make it uh, that If it's way? a penny? Like, it, like, How much is a 5.1 ohm resistor? Two pennies? Like, yeah. I feel like that's a weird choice to make, right? Like, I, I feel like... But in hindsight, I think that they're also... I mean, I, I feel uh, like a certain amount of um, sympathy for the right. creators sure. yes. in this. Because I've released products and made mistakes. Right. And as was said, even said that, we, well, we can't believe that this didn't show up in right. our testing. Like, we tested this. We sent this out to testers, and but probably each of them used the Raspberry Pi-provided charger. Right. Yeah. Not everyone looked thoroughly. Yeah. It didn't take long, right? Yeah. Yeah. It probably took that first person who plugged it into the charger that they bought. You know, they bought an expensive charger because it's got more power, and it's got that, that special cable. Yeah. And that was the first person to realize, oh, something's not right here. And so now... We're going to look at, well, what's the problem? Right. Why isn't it working? But, I mean, like, stuff like that's going to happen. I mean, such is life. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, is it really going to make a massive difference to the average user? Probably not. I think because you can just switch cables, you're, you'll be okay. Right. Yeah. Right? You can move on. Yeah. And I think what what we see here, too, is that... Uh, and and uh, time will tell, but I suspect that it's only going to take a very short amount of time. I mean, they'll sell out of the first run. Right. They'll correct it. it in the next mm-hmm. run, and it won't take long uh, for the, the the next revision of the Raspberry Pi 4 to come out with the correction. Yep. Yeah. And then problem solved. Exactly. <laughs> and then the first one will be like a collector's item. Uh, I was thinking there the you same go. thing. <laughs> this is the, it's like that. It's like your uh, MyCloud. That's there right. with yeah. the SATA ports. Or it's like just, it's special. Or misprinted stamps. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Somebody will collect it and it'll be great. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, I'm going to jump right into the cryptocurrency report. Just want to look at how the crypto market has been responding over the past week. Uh, and this, these numbers are based on what I found at about 1,800 hours Eastern time on Wednesday, July 10th, 2019. So in the past seven days... Bitcoin still gained. Now, today it's down a little bit versus like previous days. But since last week, we're up $539 US. So we're sitting at $11,930.02. Facebook Libre still sitting at a whopping $0. Doesn't exist yet, but we are monitoring it when it comes out. Yeah, it's very They're the least volatile right now. (laughs) If you're going to invest, invest in Libre. (laughs) It will cost you nothing. (laughs) 
Litecoin, I'll take a billion of them. Exactly. Uh, Litecoin is down, uh, losing $10.83 US uh, at 107.75. Ethereum is at 289.49. Another loser going down 4.77 cents, uh, $4.77, I should say. And Monero is gaining a little bit. Um, gaining, are you ready for this? Mm-hmm. $6.66. Monero is the mark of the beast. $94.78 is its U.S. dollar value this week. Uh, Torque, uh, which was previously known as Stellite, gaining just a little bit, 0.06 thousandths of a cent, and Turtlecoin up to 1.22 thousandths of a cent. Remember, if you are going to mine, invest in cryptocurrency in any way, shape, or form, the market is always volatile. It never closes. You never know what's going to happen next. Only invest what you can afford to lose. Big thanks to Roy W. Nash and our community of viewers for submitting stories to us this week. Thanks for watching the Category5.tv newsroom. Don't forget to like and subscribe for all your tech news with a slight Linux bias. And for more free content, be sure to check out our website. From the Category5.tv newsroom, I'm Sasha Rickman. And I'm Robbie Ferguson. And I'm Jeff Weston. We've got to take a really quick break. Stick around. Welcome back. This is Category 5 Technology TV. It's been episode number 616. Getting up there. It's been fabulous having Bo here from Ameridroid and his wife, Rosemary. Thank you so much for joining us here in the studio, and I hope you all enjoyed the show. I want to also say thank you to everyone who has supported us on Patreon this week or through any means, whether you're shopping through our partner links uh, or if you are actually supporting us on Patreon. You can find out more about that process which is very, very simple, and you just give as little as $1 a month to our free broadcast to support us. You can do so at patreon.com slash category5. Category 5 TV is on Twitter. You'll find us at Category 5 TV or me personally. I am at Robbie Ferguson, and incidentally, I follow back. So if you'd like to increase your followers by one and perhaps see a couple of likes on your timeline by the world-famous webcaster Robbie Ferguson. You don't follow me. <laughs> I feel like... Oh, you're on Twitter? I feel like you're promising Did to you the follow? world. Did you follow him? Did I follow? Yeah, I follow Did back. Follow? Yes, I fell onto Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> I follow back, Jeff. Yeah, I don't follow you on Twitter. you got to follow <gasps> me. You better do it. <laughs> How will you see all those tweets I tweet about you? Because uh, you tell me about it everywhere else. <laughs> uh, we're on YouTube. You can guess that we would be there. Uh, Category 5 TV. Just do a quick search for us. Or you can find our um, edited down clips, uh, linuxtechshow.com. Make sure you subscribe to both of those to get our notifications. We're also on the Roku channel store. And you can get us on Plex or Kodi via uh, github.com slash cat5tv. Check out the repositories there. And, of course, our main website ties everything together. You'll find that at Category5.tv. Thank you for being here, everybody. Thank you both for being here. Sasha, great job with the B-roll. So all the handheld cam shots that you saw tonight, that was Sasha. How's your arm feeling? Yeah, good. Those, good. those yeah. studio cameras are pretty those heavy, are, eh? Yeah. yeah. Just wait till you see what I've done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to watch this back afterwards. It's just a shot of the floor. You're it's just Sasha's shoes. you out of the actual <laughs> show. <Yeah. laughs> 
Well, I, I thank you for being a trooper. <laughs> <laughs> You're more than welcome. Have a wonderful week, everybody. See you next week. Bye. Bye.